We're going to be in Romans chapter 13 here in just a moment. Romans chapter 13. Our church, not every year, but many years, has an annual theme. And really it kind of helps us in our spiritual journey. We have banners around like this one, what time is it? And knowing the time, that's not so people can remind me when the sermon needs to be over, but knowing the time. And uh, I frequently read these banners as I go about my day around the office or in the building because they're more than decorations, you know, they're truths about the importance of principles in our life. And I've been actually mulling over in my mind for months what I think our theme will be for next year. And um, matter of fact, I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. You know me better than that. <laughs> but this matter of time is such an important factor, and I want to look at it again this morning for Romans 13. And we're going to read several verses uh, together. And if you're able to stand, I'd invite you to stand with us for the reading of God's Word, and we'll have prayer together. In this chapter, there are really three real important duties, obligations, responsibilities uh, that, that uh, Paul writes to the Romans about. We're going to talk about two of those, but I want to begin reading in verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. What a blessing it is to have in our possession, the very Word of God. And as we look into it today, God, we pray for your help. We pray that you would bless the reading of your Word, the declaration of truth from your Word. We, we trust you and claim the promise that your Word will not return unto you void, but that it will accomplish the purpose that you sent it forth to accomplish. We pray that it would have free course among us today, and we want to receive your Word with gladness, and may it work in us and produce fruit in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you 
so much. The two, two out of the three real sections of Romans 13 we're going to look at today, the first one is about our responsibility to others, and the other is about this matter of time. And they all fit in together, I believe, verses 8, 9, and 10. Uh, Paul talks about loving other people, loving one another. We heard about that in Sunday school some this morning. It's a command that we're to love one another. Verse 8, owe no man anything but to love one another. We're commanded to love one another. We're not just commanded to tolerate one another. We're not just commanded to put up with one another. We're commanded to love one another. There's far too much really spite and contempt in our culture, in the world we live in, of Christians against Christians. And it should not be that way. That doesn't mean we always agree on everything, but we shouldn't, especially in this matter of social media where it's public information, there's verbal condemnation, evil speaking, and you may not believe this, but there's some people that I don't agree with and people that don't agree with me. But for Christians to condemn other Christians in a public forum is unspeakable, really. We're to love one another. Amen. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a list of options. We're commanded to love one another. As a matter of fact, look in 8 there, the second part of verse 8. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And our folks know that I mentioned, I've mentioned this several times in recent months, but there are many people today who treat the law like it's not important, like the law doesn't matter. But they don't get that from reading the Bible. They just get that from listening to somebody talk about the Bible. But in the Bible it says that if we love one another, in verse 8, he has fulfilled the law. We're not under... New Testament believers are not under the ceremonial law. We're not obligated to keep the different feasts of the Old Testament, those kind of things. Those things were a shadow. They were a picture. They were, they were to present Christ. We're not, we're not under obligation to keep those uh, Jewish ceremonial laws, but we are under the obligation of the moral laws. Notice what he said in verse 9. Thou shalt not commit adultery, shall not kill, shalt not steal, shall not bear false witness, shall not covet, and any other commandments. There are a lot of other commandments. He didn't say disregard all those commandments. Paul never said that. The Bible never says that. These part of the moral laws. He said, but it's comprehended in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The more we love others, the, the more the law is fulfilled in us. If I really love my wife, I'm not going to be unfaithful to her. The more you love the less you're going to break those... If I love someone, I'm not going to take what belongs to him. If I love someone, you understand what he says? So he says, if it's all the laws, he doesn't say all the laws are non-existent, none of the laws are important. He said, if we love one another, we will fulfill the laws. And that's exactly what we're to do. You say, well, I just, I don't need to be concerned about the, all these things because I just love people. If you love people, you're not going to mistreat people. We're to love one another. Look at what it says in verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. I love that phrase. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And that's not just talking about the people whose property boundaries your property, although it includes them. An, a person who, who's walking in love does not want to do something that will hurt someone else. Doesn't want ill to come upon them. If I want, if I want something... If I have ill feelings towards somebody and want something bad to happen to them, the problem is not in them, the problem is in me. 
And if we let, it goes on to say in verse 10 there, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore, because of that, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love does not disregard the law. Love does not dismiss God's commandments. Love enables us to fulfill the law. So we have a responsibility to others. We need to understand that. As Christians, we need to, not just to our family, not just to our closest friends, but we have a, we have a responsibility to others. We, we need to take ownership of this. I have a responsibility. We're to love people. We witness, why do we witness to people? Because we care about their special, spiritual condition. Why do we give people gospel tracts? Why do we share the gospel with people? Because we care about them. We care about their eternal destiny. And we're, we have responsibility to other people. We live as followers of Christ before them. The people in your community where you work, the people where you live, the people where we shop. We have an obligation to those people. You say, I don't even know those people. You don't have to know those people. God knows those people, and we have responsibility. We're to live as examples before them. We're to especially encourage those who are in the family of faith and those who are in our church. And we encourage them by the way we live. If you're in Romans 13, let's just borrow a couple of verses in Romans 14. Great text, great passage in Romans 14. We're just going to, I just want to emphasize this obligation we have to other people. Romans 14 and verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. He said, here's your good rule of thumb. Don't ever do anything in your life that would cause another believer to stumble, that would cause them to be hurt spiritually. Don't ever, that's a good rule of thumb to live by. Look in verse 21 of the same chapter. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And some people would look at that and say, well, that's just legalistic. No, that's our Christian obligation to one another, that we're examples, we're to love. None of us are perfect, but we're to care for one another. And I wouldn't want to do anything or say anything or act in such a way that would cause somebody to say, well, that, his faith must not be real. Why would he do that? Or if he can do that, then I can do this. We're obligated to one another. Even in chapter 15 of Romans. Verse 1, it says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, which means to build up. So back in Romans 13, in this one is this sort of this middle section of Romans 13, Paul writes about loving one another, caring about others. And it's a high standard because the standard that we're, by which we're to love one another is God's standard. Jesus said, a new, a new commandment I give unto you. Think about this. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a lot, isn't it? As you love one another as I have loved you. We're to be forgiving of others as he's been forgiving to us. We're to be forbearing with others as he's been forbearing with us. And then he says this, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. 
So we have a responsibility to other people, and we ought to take ownership of that. I don't expect anybody to be perfect. I don't expect myself to be perfect, but I want to be being perfected. I want to be growing and maturing. But what a great, what a, what a great mission we have. Now I'm speaking directly to our church family today, but what a great mission we have to influence our community, to try to be a light to our community. And you know how we do that? We do that by taking this responsibility seriously to love one another and to love other people and to love our neighbors as ourselves and let God work in people's lives. We, our world needs hope and direction and may God help us to be that. So we're back in Romans 13 and so he has this little section here having to do with our responsibility to others and then he sort of segues into verse 11 where he says, and that. So it's, it's, not, it's not disconnected from that, it's a part of it. And that, knowing the time, the word knowing, means understanding or perceiving or recognizing, being aware of, being aware of the time. You know, the older you get, the more you have to give up stuff, right? And one of them is wearing a wristwatch. I don't have to give it up, but I seldom wear one anymore. Because you have, you have, you have timepieces everywhere. You have them on your phone. You have, you have all these alarms going off. But it's good to know what time it is. Knowing the time, recognizing it. In this text, time is mentioned twice. If you look there in verse 11, it says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time. Two references to time. And there are two different words. And one of them, the first one means sort of like the era of time, the general time. The second one is like the specific time. That high time, the word that's translated there is time is aura like hours, a specific time. He says, knowing, knowing the time, it's high time. It's, a, it's, it's, it's urgent. This time is urgent. And I'm a little bit older than um, most of you, but I can remember now for over 40 years hearing preaching about the Lord coming back. And it really stirred me when I was a new believer, early 20s. I mean, I just, I just took it. I took the Bible to me mean what it said, and I took my preacher's word for it when he preached the Bible, and I was just looking for Jesus to come at any moment. I, I can vividly remember that. Well, more than four decades has passed, and you know what? I'm still looking for him to come. I'm still I really believe he could come in this service, and if he doesn't come in this service, he could come before we get back tonight, and if he was, I wish I would know it so I wouldn't finish up my sermon, but... But we, this, this is an anticipation. I'm, I'm, say, I'm introducing this thought about this third section here because I think this is critical. I think it's strategic that we have an understanding of the time. He says there in 14, knowing the time, knowing the general time, it is high time for us to wake up because of what? Look in verse 11. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now that salvation there is not talking about our new birth. It's, these were people were believers. Paul is admonishing disciples. The salvation he's talking about is our ultimate, consummate salvation when Jesus comes back for us. Knowing the time, he says it's high time because our salvation is upon us. He could come at any moment. How would it affect the way we live 
If we expected Jesus to come at any moment, I'm certain there are probably conversations that we might avoid, places we might not go to, things we might not watch on our device, our television, or whatever. If we knew that he could come at any moment, how would it affect our attitude? Would we walk around with, with grudges and bitterness? Would we, would we neglect opportunities to give people the gospel if we knew that he could come at any moment? Now, Paul said, is our salvation near? Now, you might look at this and you might hear this and you might think, what a shame. Paul was so ill-informed. He thought he was coming then and it's been 2,000 years and he hadn't come yet. No, Paul's telling us how we ought to live. Like he could come at any time. You know, the time, young person, we have is a gift from God. My wife and I have known several people in recent weeks who've gone to be with the Lord. Our time is a gift from God. Knowing the time, it should be a wake-up call. And I mentioned earlier about how much we've heard over the years about the second coming of the Lord and things and the news Current events seem to, you know, confirm the fact that Jesus come. I, I agree with all of that. I was hearing that 40 years ago. I agreed with it then. It's even more so that I agree with it now. Because of that, though, we, there, we ought to be good stewards of the time that we have. It's a gift from God. It ought to, it ought to be like a wake-up call, a wake-up, an alarm going off. It ought to motivate us. The awareness of our time motivates us. It motivates us to use the time we have left in our day. I had a conversation this week with a pastor friend of mine. I called him because I haven't talked to him in a year or so, and I just wanted to see how he's doing. And, and uh, he told me, he's a little bit older than I am, and he told me about how the stage he is in life and the fact that he knows he's coming closer to the end of the journey. The, I think the older we get, the more we're aware of that. You know, how much time do we really have left? But all of us ought to be good stewards of our time. Having a biblical mindset of time will affect our lives. Notice what Paul said in verse 11 there where he says, it's high time to wake out of sleep. And then look at verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. It's upon us. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The, the significance of time, it causes us to make adjustments in our, in our lives, in our decisions, in our priorities. Look at it there in verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Because, there, because time is of essence, because our time is getting away from us, he says you ought to make some decisions. You need to put off the works of darkness. You need to get those things out of your life and put on the armor of light. You'll recognize that terminology is similar to what Paul wrote in Ephesians, in Colossians, when he said, put off the old man and put on the new man. Get, put this out of your life. That's an individual responsibility. There are things in your life, knowing the Lord's coming, there are things in your life you'd be better off to get them out of your life. And knowing the Lord's coming, it would be very prudent, very wise to bring these things into your life, the things you know that ought to be in your life. 
The old is talking about the carnal way of living, the carnal way of thinking. The new is talking about the new man, the spiritual way. By the way, it's significant that we put off before we put on. We need to get things out of our life and then bring the right things into our life. We don't take righteousness and true holiness, which I think it says in Ephesians or Colossians, and put that on top of unrighteousness and sin. No, we need to get the sin out of our life and replace it with good things. First of all, we need to be saved. Greatest thing ever happened to us was when we got saved and we were born again. Because that brought about an interchange. Not just, you know, religion tries to put good stuff on top of bad stuff and tries to put good deeds on top of, top of bad attitudes and bad behaviors. But, but true Christianity changes you on the inside, gives you a brand new start, washes us and makes us clean. The day that we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we look to the cross, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for my sins and your sins and as guilty a sinner as I was, I knew that Jesus died in my place and by faith I put my trust in him and received him as my savior and he changed my life and old things were passed away and all things became new. That's the start really of putting off the old thing. You have to be born again. Has that ever happened to you? Have you been born again? Do you know that Jesus Christ is a part of your life? You say, why is that so important? Because you're never ever really going to have the desire to have pure holiness and a desire to serve the Lord, not just for a moment in time, but for the rest of your life and for all eternity if you don't have a change on the inside. I didn't even understand a portion of what that meant when I got saved, but I knew this. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you know what? The very, within a day, I started noticing attitude changes. I didn't, I didn't go to a class and said, I don't do this and don't do this. You better do. I didn't do that. But you know what? My, my heart changed. Aren't you glad about that? Yeah. If you're not saved today, you need Jesus Christ. You don't need religion. You need Jesus Christ. Joining a church can't fix what's wrong with us. If we get saved, we want to be in a church. We want to get scripturally baptized. We want to grow in the Lord. But that does not save us. Jesus is the Savior. I'm not the Savior. Mount Zion Baptist Church is not the Savior. No church is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins and was raised on the third day and offers eternal life to every person who will come to him by faith. And if you're not saved, you ought to come to him today. Put your faith and trust in him. And then when we're saved, we have a new nature. But we still have to deal with sin, right? We still have this this fallen nature that we deal with. And even in, as Christians, you listen, you could be a Christian, know you're saved, and be harboring things in your life and carrying around things in your life that you know are not godly, they're not pure, they're not holy. And then you're going to put some Bible reading on top of that and some, you know, praying, going to church on top of that. And, and you know, and, all, and those things are not bad things, they're good things. But you don't, it doesn't help to put the, old on top, the new on top of the old. You need to get the old stuff out of your life. That's the only way we're going to really have peace and victory in our life. It's a very common mistake. You can't have it both ways. You can't be worldly minded and heavenly minded at the same time. The Bible says a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So we need to put off. Paul says this in verse 13 there. We need to put off these things out of our life. 
Let us walk honestly in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. All these are words having to do with attitudes and being quarrelsome and contentious and jealous and rivalry and this partying and drinking and chambering is immorality, all kinds of immorality. None of that is good for us, whether it's things you do, things you view, things you give your conversation to. We need to get those things out of our life. The Bible says those things are associated with darkness, not with light, with darkness. This kind of living is not appropriate for disciples of Christ. Then he says, though, put on, look at this, and he said, put on the armor of light in the last part of verse 12. Put on the armor of light. Armor speaks of protection. And light, light speaks of what is pure, what is holy, what is godly. The Bible says God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. God is pure light. All light. Total light. And he says, we're to put on the armor of light. We're to put on righteousness, true holiness. That doesn't just mean we're going to just do good things. It means we're appropriating, we heard in Sunday school, the righteousness of Christ. He makes us righteous. But we are, we're also to walk in obedience to him, sincerely repenting of our sins, sincerely turning from a self-directed life and putting our faith and trust in Christ and in putting on this armor of light. And then at the end of this passage, Paul sort of summarizes with a very simple, concise, profound bit of counsel. And this is something that we could all just memorize and use as a guide in our life. Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some people struggle, I think, to understand this, especially if they've not been in the Scripture and they've not, and, and really don't have an understanding of what the new birth is like. But when a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within them. And that's where he, he even refers to himself as Christ in us. He lives within us. But he also brings with him this, this, uh, this enablement, this power, this ability to not just have the Spirit in us, but to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And he says there, we need to put on Christ, we need to put on His attitude. Paul wrote uh, to that church at Ephesus, and he says that we were to be Followers of Christ. We're to be like imitators. The word is mimitas. We're to be imitators of Christ. We're to, do, we're to live like Christ does. It's like that practice that um, was that book that was written about, you know, what would Jesus do? That was long before there was a bracelet. WWJD. Living as though, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus, a teenager, would Jesus talk back with disrespect to his parents? And the answer to that we all know is no, he wouldn't do that. Would Jesus speak evil of someone just for the sake of building them up and putting ourselves? No, Jesus wouldn't do that. 
We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to seek to be like Christ. And, and I just want to tell you today, every one of us, every one of us that are saved has the same great need to do that. Because all of us have the capacity of the capability of living in the flesh, of acting in the flesh, of being self-centered in the way we do things. We're to be imitators of Christ. And then he says in verse 14, and make not provision for the flesh. Don't, make any, don't give the flesh an inch. Nope. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't put yourself in a place of temptation. Don't put yourself, don't allow yourself to be in a place to be in, enticed. That means we have to be careful about where we go. I'm thinking about the writer of Proverbs who warned about going in certain places, dark places where temptation and enticement lurked. Don't do that. You're increasing the chance of fulfilling fleshly lusts. That means we have to be careful about our friends. We have to be careful. We're trying to win people to Christ. We're to influence our friends. But we don't go, we don't go with them to the places they go if it's not going to help us spiritually, not going to help them spiritually. And I believe all of this, all of this is, could be motivated by the matter of time, knowing what time it is. Time is of essence. Time is running out. It's wrong, listen, Christian, it's wrong for us to live as though time doesn't matter. And by the way, the same is true of people who are unsaved. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, the good news is God loves you. Jesus died for you and me and for all, all of us. We're all sinners. We've all broken God's law. But how unwise it would be, how foolish it would be to take our future for granted as though, well, you know, I know I need to get right with God, but I'll do it one of these days. That's not a good approach to truth. We need to be good stewards of the time we have. Many people in this room will remember the account when Jesus died on the cross, and he didn't die alone. There were two other men executed on either side of him, one of these two, two different thieves on the cross. When Jesus died, they died. This was capital punishment. They wouldn't come down off of that cross alive. One of those wiser men said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right there hanging on the cross, he wanted to turn to Christ. He wanted to be saved. And you know what Jesus said to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Before this day is out, you're going to be with me in the great forever. But what about the other fellow? Had the same opportunity, the same proximity to Christ. The same experience of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. One went to heaven, as far as we know, the other one went to hell. The point is we ought to use the opportunities we have. How unwise it would be not to do that. It's just common sense. It's common sense that tells us that we ought to live as though time matters. I mean, if your house is on fire, you're not going to pour a cup of coffee and scroll through your Facebook account. No, because you know why? You don't have time for that. And we live like time doesn't matter. We live like we're always going to have these opportunities. I want to tell you, Jesus is the great example. And this is what Jesus said. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Because the night comes when no man can work. 
I'm on, I'm on the clock. I, he knew he had a limited time to do what he was going to do upon this earth. So being aware of time, let me just wrap this up. Being aware of time, how should we live? How should time affect us? It ought to affect the way we treat each other. It ought to affect the way we love one another. It ought to affect the way we feel responsibility for each other. Second, it ought to affect our lifestyle. Put off the works of darkness. Get the things out of your life that don't better your life, things that aren't pleasing to God. Put off that carnal thinking and living, selfishness, laziness. Put all, get all of that out and put on the armor of light. It affects the way we love one another. It affects, have you ever heard someone, and I, I don't want to bring this up to maybe open a wound for someone. I wouldn't know that this would apply to anybody. But have you ever heard someone say something like this, this sentiment? If I'd have known he or she was, was about to leave this earth, I would have made things right. I'd have spent time with them. We need to use the time we have to love one another and to treat people with respect. It affects our lifestyle. It'll affect our service for the Lord. We can love other people because we've been loved. I'm not going to turn to it, but I want to read this passage, just one verse from Paul's letter, his first epistle to the Corinthians. Listen to this. Awake to righteousness, wake up. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know what he said to that church at Corinth? You're snoozing, you're sleeping. People are dying in their sin and you're not spiritually alert. Wake up. He says some have not the knowledge of God. People need the Lord. A time awareness will help affect us in our diligence and our service. And the last thing is it'll affect our thinking about eternity. Now is our salvation nearer. The night is far spent. Imagine this with me. Let's just imagine. Let's, as I said, as, used to say as a kid, let's play like. Let's imagine that you had inside information and you knew that Jesus was coming back this time tomorrow. If you knew that, would it affect the way you live? Would it affect the way you talk to people? Would it motivate you to call that relative you haven't talked to for a long time and just double check and say, look, I just want to call one more time and tell you that God loves you. We act like time doesn't matter, like it's unimportant. Knowing the time, knowing the time makes us think more about eternity, things that really matter. If you're not saved today, my prayer is that it will, this thought will just sink deep into your heart. That's how foolish and unwise it is not to come to Christ, not to turn to Christ. You may say, well, I just don't know really what to do. Well, we're here to help you with that. In just a moment, we'll have a prayer at the end of the service, and the music will be playing, the piano will be playing, and we're just going to really think about this decision, think about what it means to us. I'm going to be standing right down here at the front, and you say, well, preacher, I'd like to talk to somebody. Just come, and somebody will talk to you privately from the Scripture and answer questions for you. You say, why do you emphasize this so much? Where else are you going to get this emphasized? And this is the most important thing in life, that a person knows the Lord. And if you don't feel comfortable to do that, come up to me after the service and say, look, preacher, I'd like to have a Bible study or someone talk to me. Maybe someone go over the Scripture. That's what we're here for. I'm telling you today, 
whether you believe it or I believe it, Jesus could come at any moment. Right? That's what Paul said. It's high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. We believed it. When we, we, we knew it was near when we believed, but it's even closer now. You know what? It is closer now. None of us know when he's coming. My wife and I have talked about this numerous times. We hope he comes while we're alive and we get to go together. It may happen. It may not happen. But whether it does or not, I want to be ready when he comes. I don't want to be like those that John wrote about in his epistle that will be ashamed at his coming. Shamed. Ashamed of the way we've lived. Ashamed of what we've not done. God help us. Just bow our heads together for prayer. Such a challenging passage to me. Such an enlightening passage. While our heads are bowed today, and while folks are praying, what is, what, during this message, as you've heard the songs and you've listened to teaching and preaching, and what is it that the Lord's been speaking to your heart about? What do you need to do? What, what would He want you to do? And if you're here today and you're not saved, you don't know that you've been born again today, this is the most important thing for you to consider today. And if you're a believer, if you're truly a Christian, would you take to heart these very direct encouragements from the writing of Paul to love one another, to respect each other, to take, take our obligations seriously toward other people, to love them, to be an example, to be like Christ? Our Father, as we pray today, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the challenging, direct, encouraging words that, Lord, we need to be aware of the time and we need to put off the old and put on the new, put on the armor of light. God, help us today to put on the Lord Jesus Christ I pray today for every person in this room that today we would personalize this, internalize it, 